Thank you for visiting the openword.org, where you can find a verse-by-verse exposition of almost the entire Holy Bible and other theological resources. Welcome to the next part of the series from Alan Schaefer. Keep going where we left off. Looks like everybody's back, so I guess we're ready to go. Pizza, two weeks. I don't know, he always gets, whatever we get, Jamie will eat it all. Yeah. That's fine. You can eat whatever you'd like, you know. All right, so Paul was a big A apostle. You also have the other 11, original 11, we'll call them elect apostles, because he had one non-elect apostle, right, Judas. He was never really... A full apostle. He was certainly sent by by Christ. He was chosen by Christ, but he was never one of the original true twelve. So you have eleven plus Matthias and plus a Paul. And then it says here, and being assembled together with them, he commanded them to not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said. You have heard from me, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So what did Christ command the disciples, the 11? By the way, how many of the true ones are there right now? 11, right? How, what did he command them not to do? Not to leave Jerusalem. Until what? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. Now, when did, when did he first promise the Comforter? The Holy Spirit. John 16. He said, I will, when I leave, I will send another comforter. And the word another there, there's two words for another in Greek. There's another of a different kind, another of the same kind. Guess which word he used? Another of the same kind. It's not, a, it's not another of a different kind. It's another of the same kind. All right? And he said, I'm going to send a comforter, a pair and, and the word comfort there, parakletos, is one called alongside. And by the way, that's interesting. That's one of the one of the twelve one of the divine enablements and spiritual gifts. It talks about the gift of encouragement. Gift of encouragement is parakletos, it's to call alongside someone who's called alongside to help you deal with a problem, an issue, a burden. And what is the Holy Spirit? He's called alongside, right? He's there to help us. All right, and and um. As we face our trials and tribulations. And um, Christ said, I'm going to send the comforter to you. And he's going to abide with you forever. And what, 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 is the, what does the Holy Spirit do? Let's, let's stop and think about this a minute. What, what, what is the role of the Holy Spirit? If someone say, okay, what's, what's his job description? What does the Spirit do? How would you answer that? What, is the, what does the Holy Spirit do? Okay, he indwells us, right? Putting putting aside all the religious words and all that, he basically, as long as I step aside, he leads me in my everyday life. And 
the next thing you decide. He leads, right? As many as are led by the Spirit of God, they're the sons of God. He indwells us. He prays for us, right? What else does he do? He guides. That's leads. He empowers us. Okay. He illuminates us, right? In other words, what he does is he, what things knows the spirit of man except this, a man knows, a, I'm getting all tangled up, you know what I mean, 1 Corinthians 2. Even so, the spirit of God knows no man, but the spirit himself teaches us. So how do you know what God wants you to do? It's the Holy Spirit that gives us guidance. All right. Um, he also does some other things. He convicts, doesn't he? All right. He convicts the world of sin. He grants us discernment, right? He helps us to understand what is, what is true and false. He convicts the world. He regenerates. What does it mean to regenerate? Be regenerate. What does that mean? Then yeah, refresh our spirit. Well, makes me alive. Makes you alive. Um, the Bible says you're dead in sin. What does it mean to be dead in sin? You're dead. D e a d dead. You are totally, completely, spiritually insensitive to the things of God. What does the Holy Spirit do? He regenerates you. He makes you alive. He he grants you life. It is the Holy Spirit that gives you spiritual life. If you're spiritually alive, it's because the Holy Spirit did that. All right? Regeneration. Very important concept. He also, uh, he also grants us spiritual gifts, right? We could call that, you know, along with the um, empowers. Um, we'll talk more about this later on in the in the course but all of us in here have a spiritual gift all right how many spiritual gifts do you have you each get one but what is that one gift made up of many different components all right um, I have the spiritual gift of teaching wisdom and knowledge. All right, that's my spiritual gift. How do I know that's my spiritual gift? Because you're not running out of here saying no, he doesn't. All right, all right. There's something when I teach. There's I can sense the the spirit using me. All right, um, it's not my brilliance, believe it or not. That it's not me being brilliant. It's the Holy Spirit that gives me. The ability to communicate, to understand, the knowledge to do this, all right? And if it wasn't for the Holy Spirit, I'd probably be the, uh, just another boring talking head up here, all right? But that, that's my spiritual gift. It's, it's made up of different things. Uh, uh, it says in um, 1 Peter chapter 1, or chapter 2, 7 and 8, that as every man has received the gift, minister to the same to another. 
we each have a gift that God has given us, the Holy Spirit has given us, and we are to exercise that for the purpose of the body of Christ. It's not something for me. My spiritual gift does me no good at all. All right, my spiritual gift is not given for my benefit. It's given for the benefit of the body. And all of you have a spiritual gift. It could be, sometimes it's a gift of helps. Um, Seth has the gift of probably um, discernment and encouragement. What's he do? He deals with emotional basket cases. All no, I'm sorry. He deals with. How do you know discernment? Actually, that was the strongest one when I took it past. How do you know that? Because I know you. You have you have a, the ability to to discern and to and to see um, what's behind the the facade, and I think that comes from the Holy Spirit who gives you the ability to do that, and the ability to encourage other people and to help them um, and to deal with them. Um, I do not have the spiritual gift. Of encouragement, you know, my idea is you've spent 40 years screwing your life up. Don't ask me to fix it in 40 minutes. Get out of here, you know. Um, yeah, I'm joking. You of course realize that, but there are some people that you know. You know what your gift is. You know, and by the way, it's really easy to find your gift. It's the simplest thing on the planet. It's really easy. It's not hard. You don't need to take a test. What do you want to do? What do you want to do? If the, if, the, if the pastor of your church came and said, you can do anything, any ministry, anything you want to do, what would you like to do? What would you most enjoy doing? What gives you the greatest sense of fulfillment? That's your gift. What if they said preaching and they jumped up and they were a terrible preacher? Well, you're... You're That's happened before. God, God, God gave me the gift of teaching when I was born again as an eight-year-old child, but I had to develop that yeah. over time. And hopefully, the more you practice it, the better you are at it. But your spiritual gift is not something you just can't stand doing. You know, there's this idea that, you know, well, if it, you know, if, you know God's will is something I'm just going to hate. I know it, but, you know, I'm just going to have to do it. You know, God wants you to enjoy. God's not going to give you a spiritual gift that you absolutely hate using. It's not going to work that way. It's going to be something that you find great, a great sense of fulfillment in, a great sense of, of satisfaction. You sense God's power as you exercise whatever that gift is. Um, other people respond to that. If you think you have the gift of teaching and people are falling asleep in your class, you probably don't have the gift of teaching. You might have a different kind of gift, all right? But it's something that you want to do. It's something you enjoy to do. It's something you gain fulfillment. There are certain things I just don't want to do. I, I, it's not that I, I, I could force myself to do them. I'm not a bean counter. I'm not an administrator. But there are people that have the gift of administration. They're able to run a church. They're... You know, some pastors need a little bit of that. You know, the ability to organize and to run meetings. You know, I, I can't stand that kind of stuff. I can do it, but I don't like it. You know. So what if you're a missionary and you pray, Lord, send me wherever you want. And he wants to send you to Swaziland and your wife wants to know, is there a holiday in there? God will grant you the, the grace that that will be exactly what you... But I don't think God calls a man without calling his 
No. So what no. You're a pair. I agree with that. You're a pair. I, I've seen things happen in my life where I've had a vision to do something, and my wife isn't there at the time, and we won't really discuss it. No, we will, and we won't. But over time, she kind of changes, and her attitude and her outlook and all that changes, and then she's with me on something. You know? Oh, you guys have never seen that? But when it comes to spiritual... We, we got this concept that God's will is something we know we're just going to absolutely hate doing. You really think that's what God is all about? He's going he's gonna to call you to do something you absolutely despise and hate to do? He, he was, well, his problem was carnality. Jonah's problem was he was carnal. That was his problem. It was carnality. All right. But God, but God, God's not going to, God, God is going to give you a spiritual gift, whatever that is. It's going to be something that you sense his presence and power and anointing on your life when you're doing it. And it's validated by the response of other people. If God has called you to have the gift of preaching, you, you, people are going to recognize that gift because they're going to be ministered to by the Holy Spirit as you exercise whatever that gift is. But you wife stand beside you with what you do Yeah. supports what you do. Yeah. So that's another validation of that. Yes. And so anyone who has a spiritual gift, if their mate is with them on that, then that yeah. I mean, I, I don't need to take a spiritual gift assessment. I know what my gift is. You know, I know that. And, you know, if you really sit down in the quiet, don't ask what you would like to do because of the, the, the acclaim or the applause of people or, you know, because you want to be in front of, but just say, you know, what would give me the greatest joy, the greatest sense of fulfillment? To do, you're probably going to hit pretty close to what your gift is. You're not going to be too far off. All right, um, but God, He, the Holy Spirit grants us gifts. The point is, the Holy Spirit is the one here. Put the, the Holy Spirit is the one who gives us the moment by moment consciousness of our spiritual life. And if the Holy Spirit dropped us, we would fall back into the spiritual deadness we came from. It is he who regenerates and sustains our spiritual life. All right. He's a very important person in the Trinity. All right. He's very important because he is the one that regenerates us and gives us life and gives us the ability to understand and know 
divine truth. The only way that any of you are going to understand anything in the book of Acts is the Holy Spirit is going to give you an understanding of that. He's going to open your eyes, your mind. Also, the Holy Spirit is the one who gave us the scripture, right? I mean, he is the one who moved the holy men of God. And, and they wrote down the word of God. All right. And so if you need to know what the Bible says, who do you ask? The author. You know, the Holy Spirit will help you understand. Who has the Holy Spirit? All believers. In fact, Romans says if you do not have the Spirit of Christ, or the Spirit of God, you're not one of his. And by the way, the Holy Spirit is a member of the Trinity. We're going to find that in Acts chapter 5. Because when Ananias and Sapphira lied to God, they lied to the Holy Spirit. So, the Holy Spirit is God. Alright? Don't understand that, but, you know, just set my word for it. The Holy Spirit is God. These are just some of the things that the Holy Spirit does. He's very active. And it's the Holy Spirit that's going to empower the early church to do everything that it does. And why did Christ tell them to stay in Jerusalem until they got the Holy Spirit? It wouldn't work, would it? It wouldn't work. If the Spirit of God isn't in it, yeah, it's a waste of your time. Yeah, and, and Christ knew they had to have the Holy Spirit because, listen, they were going to hit some pretty deep things. Some pretty tough things were going to be coming their way. And it's interesting. Look at look at poor old Peter. What happened when he did it on his own? I don't know who he is. Right? I don't know who he is. Yeah, he swore. I know none of us have done that at all this last week. Um, but he was... He uh, he denied the Lord. And why did he deny the Lord? Because he tried to do it in his own power. Look, you try to do something in your own power, you you're, you're lost. You, you, you can't, you, it ain't going to work. If the Holy Spirit is not in it, you might as well just not even attempt it because you're going to fail. And Christ knew that until the Holy Spirit came and empowered the church, it would not succeed. It would not succeed. He wanted them to wait until the Holy Spirit came. All right? And he said, you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Now, we're going to have to talk about this whole baptism of the Spirit, because there's a lot of confusion on it out there. There's a whole lot of confusion. Benny Hinn in First Hinn wrote, called Good Morning Holy Spirit, also known as First Hinn, wrote that... That you, you, a Christian, you, a Christian has, there's two levels of Christian. There's the average, everyday variety of Christian. And then there's a Christian who has received the baptism of the Spirit. And that book sold really well. So he wrote a new book called The Anointing. Now you got three levels. You got the average Christian, you got the baptized Christian, now you got the Christian that's anointed. And that's, a, that's, another, that's another level. And I think that book sold so well, they wrote a third one. You know, The whole point of here is, look, 
What does it mean to be baptized by the Holy Spirit? Where would you go to find that out? That's not a trick question. From finding scriptures. So what does it mean when the Bible says you're baptized by the Spirit? Well, what does baptism mean? Submerge. It's used to submerge. It's talked to dip, to submerge. That's certainly a... a, a, a what? What? To identify with it. The major component of it is to identify and use with water. You, how do you identify something with water? You drop it in and submerge it in the water. All right. But the main concept of baptism is to be identified with. All right. When you are baptized in church, when you are put in the water, what's the significance of baptism? And what's the significance of the act of baptism? It's a water thing. All right. Yeah. Well, what was the baptism of John? So when he baptized him in the water, what was he signifying? Was that the significant? So when Christ was baptized, what did that mean? What? When Christ was baptized by John. Yeah, you have the, the display of the Trinity was definitely there. The Father, this is my beloved Son, the Holy Spirit descending like a dove. You have the second member of the Trinity being baptized. He shows obedience to what was happening at that time. Uh, he, I don't believe, well, I believe he followed the pattern of what was happening. Uh, repentance. But did he need to repent? No. No, by definition, he didn't need to repent. No, but I think he did out of obedience because of what mm -hmm. John was doing. See, one, one of the things about baptism, yeah, one of the things about baptism is that, I, you know, this, this, is, this is my understanding as, as I've studied scripture and that, is that we have a lot, of, a lot of tradition we bring to the concept of baptism, all right? When I was growing up, I was growing up in a Baptist church, and when I was baptized, they said it signified the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. That's, that's the whole notion. The whole problem with that is, well, what did it mean when John was baptizing people? Because they had no concept of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And the statement was, well, they were just looking forward to it. No, they weren't, because they didn't know he was going to die. All right? The whole point is they had no concept of that. So whatever the significance of John's baptism was, it certainly wasn't to portray the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, because that would have meant nothing to them. What did it mean? Well, if you go back and you look at the history of the Jewish people and what they did is this was a common practice in their community. And if you go look at the Essenes, for example, the Dead Sea Scrolls, you ever hear of those? Well, there was a community down by the Dead Sea called the Essenes. And uh, to join that community, you had to go through all these classes and all of this stuff. And then the final thing that happened before you became a bona fide official member is that you were baptized. They had a baptistry at the Essene community. They dug it up. They, they, got, they know what it is. They know what they did. And once you were baptized, that was a public proclamation, affirmation 
of you saying, I am fully, completely, totally identifying myself with this group, whatever that group is. All right. So what did John do? What was John's message? What was the message that he preached? Repent. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And when you were baptized by John, what were you affirming? You were affirming the validity of his message. And you were affirming your complete and total identification with what he was preaching. So when Christ was baptized by John, what was Christ affirming? He was affirming exactly what John was saying. It's not that Christ had to be baptized because he needed to repent. You repented, then you were baptized. And the external act of baptism, what it did, is it was, a, it was known publicly by anybody in that society that when a person was baptized as part of joining a group, that was an official... Um, act of, of signing on the dotted line, of, of signing the contract. Um, until that point, you were not in. Until you were baptized in the Essene community, you were not part of the community. Once you were baptized, you were, you were there. You were it. And that is the picture, I think, of New Testament baptism. I am identified with Christ. I am making a public proclamation that I am fully, completely, totally affirming my identification with the message, the content, and this local church, I am making a public proclamation of identification with that. Um, you see the same thing in Corinthians where it says, talk about how the Israelites were baptized in the, in, the, in the desert, right? Baptized into Moses. What does that mean? Does it mean he dunked them all in water? No. What, what does it mean? It means as they were going through the wilderness, who were the people of Israel identified with Moses, the, the, the teachings of Moses, the, the, the message of Moses. All right. Now, is it a picture of the death, burial, and resurrection? Well, we could make it that, but is that really what it, the original biblical significance was? I don't think so. I think the original biblical significance was I am making a public affirmation that I am officially joining this group and I'm affirming whatever that group stands for. I'm making myself a part of that group. It's an official thing. Does that make any sense? And that, that's the best explanation of why was Jesus baptized. It wasn't Jesus was baptized to portray his death, burial, and resurrection. Nobody but him knew that. What significance? God's not going to give you um, God's going to tell you to do something with significance if you don't know what the significance is. Does that make any sense? It doesn't mean anything. If you're baptized and you have no idea what it means, why are you baptized? There's a, there's a significance to that. God was going to give you a significance. And, what, what, and by the way, the Jews did this as well. I mean, if you were a Gentile and you wanted to be a Jew, after you went through all the whatever it was that you had to go through, the final step of becoming a, a an official Jew was you were baptized. And then you became a Jew. John wasn't the only one who was standing there in a puddle of water, you know, baptizing people. There were other prophets, other groups, and everything yeah. that did it. That's just 
and it, and it was it was a it was a public it, it was a custom of that day. Right. Everybody understood, you know, until you were baptized, you weren't really an official part of that group. But once you were baptized, you were part of it. There was no turning back. All right. So and I don't think it's clear. No, no, the death, resurrection. I don't think it is. I, I really don't. Yes. 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 Because because we give that significance to it, and that's fine that we do that. Because we understand, I'm identifying, I'm identifying with the church. I'm identifying with the gospel, with the truth of the gospel. I'm affirming that I believe that. I'm part of that group now. All right, and that's what what it means to to be baptized. Because went to the extremes, the anti-baptists. Yeah, and, and you look at baptism and communion; that spawned more denominations than any other thing on the planet. You know, when you look back at the history of the church, you know, and, and it is because what we have done is we've 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 put all kinds of traditions around this thing. And I think what we need to do is, is just go back and ask, well, in that society, when someone's baptized, what did that mean? I mean, you could go and say you're a Christian all day long and nobody cared, but the day you were baptized, you're it. That was a, that was a no turning back moment of transition. And when those people went and listened to John, they could listen to John all day long and believe everything John said. But as soon as they were baptized, what were they affirming? I agree with what John is saying. I am. I need to repent and prepare myself for the coming of the kingdom and the king, and I'm going to publicly affirm my agreement with the message and mission of John the Baptist, and that's when you were baptized. And Christ, when he did that, he was publicly affirming the ministry and message of John the Baptist. That's fine. I'm glad you're in here. Yeah, and you have to say, well, what does he? What does Christ mean by that? What 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 does Christ mean by that? Christ was saying it's the right thing for me to be baptized by you because what would have happened? What was what was the message of John the Baptist? What was his mission? Why was he sent? Preparing the way for the Lord, right? So, if Christ just all of a sudden appears, and he's off teaching and preaching and all this stuff, how do you know that he's what John was talking about? There's got to be some continuity between them. What is the continuity? Christ was baptized by John, thus affirming publicly that the message of John the Baptist was an accurate and true message. And that Christ was affirming the validity of that, and Christ was an extension of that. John was the forerunner, Christ was the fulfillment. It pulls it both together. All right? That's my understand that's the best understanding I have of that. 
Okay. And then, and then, so if you see baptism as a, as identification, as as being being made a member of, it was a, it was a right of membership, sort of speak, to be made a member of. Then what is spirit baptism? What does it mean to be baptized by the spirit? I'm identified with the Spirit. And in fact, in 1 Corinthians 12, it says, For by one Spirit we are all baptized into what? The body of Christ. What is Spirit baptism? Spirit baptism is, and by the way, that's this is the only couple of places this is mentioned. New Testament. What does it mean to be baptized by the Spirit? Is the act whereby Christ or God places us into the body of Christ. What is the body of Christ? What is that? The church. The body of God's redeemed. If you're not part of the body of Christ, what are you? You're not a believer. So who gets baptized by the Spirit? How many of them? All of them. And when does that happen? When you are placed into the body of Christ. Now, was the body of Christ in existence prior to Pentecost? No, it was not. No, it was not. Right. Now, there's a big argument like, well, when does the church begin? Does it begin with the ascension of Christ? Does it begin with Pentecost? Does it begin with with Paul in Acts chapter 27? Does it begin with the conversion of Paul? I mean, there's all there have been lots of books written on this whole stuff. All right, that's 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 a paper topic, okay? But I think the best understanding: when does the church begin? When did the body of Christ come into existence? When the Holy Spirit descended and all the believers were baptized into the body of Christ, that was the official beginning of the church. Thereafter, how did you become a member of the body of Christ? Through conversion. What happens at the moment of conversion? You are placed within the body of Christ. You're made a member of the body of Christ. And... If you want to talk about water baptism, what is water baptism a good picture of? I'm made a member of the body of Christ. It's an external, that's, that's a good picture where it comes, the external representation of what has already happened at my conversion. The point to understand is this. Nowhere in the scripture is there ever any indication that there's a subsequent work of the Holy Spirit called spirit baptism where you get a divine zap and, and get kicked up to a different level of spirituality. There's no indication of that. 1 Corinthians 12 tells us we are placed in the body of Christ at the moment of conversion. At the moment of conversion, what does the Holy Spirit do to you? One, he regenerates you. Well, let's, let's go back a little further. You got a salvation event. All right. There, there's been a lot of books written on this, too. All right. You've got a salvation event. Somebody, let's talk about what happens when somebody comes to know Christ. Well, first of all, what's the first thing that has to happen? 
They have to hear the word. All right. So somewhere along the line, somebody has to tell them the gospel. They got to hear what the, what's the gospel. All right. So the first thing is the first step is you got to hear the gospel. You got to hear the proclamation of the truth of Scripture. All right. Um, without the preaching, there can be no salvation. Right. People are not walking along. All of a sudden, they get. I'm a Christian now. What does that mean? I don't know, but I just feel it. No, you know. But Paul had an understanding of who Jesus was. There was, there was, there's meat behind it. So there has to be a preaching of the gospel. And then what does the Holy Spirit do? Before that, what does the Holy Spirit do? He's got to convict you, right? All right. Here's the point. If someone says they're a Christian, they have no conviction over sin. They're full of it. Because what does the Holy Spirit do? He convicts you of sin. That is a work of the Holy Spirit. I love the one time, and I forget what the guy's name was. I forget the guy, and I forget the, um, I think it's George Whitfield, who was the preacher. But this guy, he was mocking George Whitfield. They went down to the bar. This is when the Great Awakening was happening in America. And uh, the guy got up and he's, he's mocking George Whitfield and preaching like George Whitfield. And just partway through his mocking, he stops, puts his drink down, and walks out and becomes a Christian. It's like he preached to himself and won himself to the Lord. You know, that's a good one, you know. He was mocking George Whitfield and God convicted him. And see, before that, what was happening? How do you feel before that? No conviction. Fine. You know, look at the world today. You know, they sin, 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 no conviction. You know what happens? The Holy Spirit comes along, pricks the heart, and all of a sudden there's a shattering and a brokenness. That's a work of the Holy Spirit. Okay? What comes next? This is where the chicken or the egg comes in. What comes next? Yeah, see, I, I've got her trained. No, I'm just kidding. Regeneration. What is, it, what is regeneration? We've been made alive. When you're regenerated, what do you do? What's the next thing here? When you regeneration, you repent, right? And then what do you do? You believe. So here's the question. What one of the, and you know, we can refine this a lot. This is a big picture, 20,000 foot. But at what step, what number are you born again? <laughs> at what point are what at what point are you born again? You say five. You have and this is debatable, by the way, just so you understand. In a tr in a salvation event. When a person is saved, all of these things happen. 
All right. It's not like one or two happens and the rest don't. All of them happen. So in, in, all, in, all, in one sense of the word, it's sort of like a moot point, you know, of which comes first. But I, I do believe you can make an order. It's called ordo salutis, the order of salvation. But I do think the Bible clearly teaches you're saved right here at this point. That's when you're born again. All right, brother. Okay, so All right. Now, here's the question. At what point do you get involved in your salvation? Four. Four and five. Oh, yeah, right. Now, why is that? Well, it goes back to election, that whole, that whole notion. It goes back to that. But here's the point. How can you, how can you repent if you don't know? How can you repent? You can't. You can't expect an unbeliever to repent of their... They're not going to wake up one day and say, I think I'll be a Christian today. I'll repent of my sins. It doesn't work that way. God's got to do a work in their heart. God's got to bring... It's a sovereign work of God whereby he brings you life. And the first thing you do, the first thing is you respond. It's God who brings life. All right? It's not you. So, now, you do believe. Do you choose God or does God choose you? God chose you. God chose you, but God's choice of you. No, you can't. They rejected, and, and that's, a, that's a good. No, they weren't. Not, not, not in the eternal sense of the word. The Jews were chosen as a people to receive God's blessing, but in order to be to actually receive the blessing, what did you have to do? You had to repent. You had to truly believe. All right. This is theology. We're getting into theology here and all that kind of stuff. But what is showing? Are the Jews still the chosen one? No. No. They've been set aside. Now, they are in anticipation, but and someday God will return to them, but in the meantime, they are set aside. All right. I got to ask this question. Oh. <laughs> it's a I got to Okay, if you, if you believe the account of the uh, Jesus' death on the cross, the, that was where the ground yeah. opened up in the Old Testament saints were yeah. risen, then you, you have Pentecost and coming with the Holy Spirit, and you know from that point on there is the Holy Spirit in the world. What about that people who died at, during those 40 days between Ascension and the Resurrection? I'm glad you asked that. <laughs> I'm glad you asked that question. No. Did they have to wait 40 days for the Holy Spirit before they could no. What you need to do, you need to understand, is this is the old covenant, right? This is a covenant timeline. This is the old covenant. Okay? On that old covenant timeline, where do you put the death of Christ on the cross? Yeah. Where does it go? This is, this is the duration of the Old Covenant. This is the duration. There, there came an end point to the Old Covenant. 
but this is the duration. At what point in there did Christ die on the cross? No, about right there. Because what do you have? The new covenant. All right. So what you have, this is right here. Right there is Acts. It's a transition from the old to the new. All right. So let's say you were a, I hate to use the word saved, but a redeemed Jew. You were truly a believer. All right. And you died two days after Christ's death on the cross, but you didn't know anything at all about the crucifixion. Are you saved? Yes. Why? Because you're one of the elect. You're, you're one of the elect, but what are you part of? Part of Which one? The new thing. No. Oh, the old. You're part of the old covenant. You're part of the old covenant. Now, in Acts 19, we're going to run into some disciples of John that Paul runs into. All right? Let's say before Paul showed up, one of them died on the road, fell over dead. Does he go to heaven? Okay, and under which covenant does he go to heaven, old or new? The old. The old, because he had not heard of the new covenant. Remember, they said, we didn't hear anything all about Christ. We don't know. And Paul preached the gospel to them, and what did they immediately do? They all believed. And at that point, were they part of? The new covenant. But listen, this is the point. There's a transition between the covenants. There is a, there is a period of time. You know, stop and think about it. You know, you're, you're, you are, you are a, a redeemed Jew, all right? And the day after Christ's death on the cross, you die of a heart attack. And God says, you know... If you just hold on a couple more days, you'd be all right. But you know what? We changed the rules on you yesterday, and you're out. You're out. I can do the line you always use. God can do whatever He wants. God can do it. But if God is God is fair and honest and and just, He's not going to He's not going to play games like that. Where are they? They're part of the old covenant. No, the old, no, the old Testament saints. Mm -hmm. They were in the grave, or they were in the holding place until. They, oh, those 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 Old Testament believers were taken to heaven. Yes, they were not. They just did not were not resurrected and walked around and lived the rest of their lives out. No, I think they they, they appeared, but then there's no indication that they stayed. They they probably ascended with Christ. And there's a reference that in First Corinthians 15, Christ in the first fruits, talking about the resurrection. Um, there was a first fruit resurrection, and I think they're part of that. So, yes. Are they in the grave for 40 days before they can be physically resurrected? No. Okay. Well, they go to, because after, after the, that's a good question. After the, 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 the cross, the way to heaven was open. And whether you were part of the old or new covenant, regardless of which one you were part of, you still went to heaven. You, would may, you may not be part of the church because... The body of Christ had not yet been formed. All right, but you would still go to heaven. You're still part of God's people. And there's a transition, a grace period there. But here's the point, and this is the point of Hebrews. You can go home today and somebody says, Well, I never figured out Hebrews. Here's how you understand Hebrews it's easy. 
Hebrews says, listen, if you've heard the new covenant, you've heard the cross, you've heard the, the message of the gospel, what is your only choice? You either believe. If you don't believe, what happens? The old is gone. The old is gone. There's no turning back. If you were a redeemed Israelite, the moment you heard the truth of the gospel, you believed. You believe. My question was, the day that the dead were walking the streets of mm -hmm. Jerusalem, that, those were the first fruits? That first fruits. I think that's a good way to understand that passage in 1 Corinthians. It talks about the resurrection says each one in his order, and it says Christ and the first fruits, then those who are alive at his coming, and then there's the last gleanings. Well, I always thought the first fruits would have been the... You know, the Jews that died in, no. between his resurrection and, and no. when he ascended. No, there's... Okay, yeah. so that bunch... That yeah. So but, but, but what happens... Here, here's, the, here's getting back to the baptism of the... Yeah. yeah going back to the baptism. Why did Paul ask those believers what they were baptized in? And how come he made two different references the water and the baptism? And where? In, um, because he wanted to know, because the, the understanding in the church was, what, when he said baptism, which message have you identified with, have, have you believed in? Is it the baptism of John, which was what? A baptism of repentance, looking forward to the king, or is it the baptism of the new covenant, where there's an understanding and a knowledge of Jesus Christ's death, burial, and resurrection? I think that's what it's referring to. All right? Yeah. And that's a valid question. Because, again, the concept of baptism is not getting dunked in the water and all that stuff. But it's to what are you identifying with? What group have you made a public affirmation of identification? And that's what the baptism of the Spirit is. What is the baptism of the Spirit? It is the Holy Spirit taking you and placing you into the body of Christ. It happens at the moment of conversion. It's a once-for-all act. All right? It's never to be repeated. Because if you're not part of the body of Christ, you're not, now, you're not a believer. And, it, and, and I know in, in, in some circles, they I say, well, you know, have you been baptized in the Spirit and start speaking in tongues and getting the divine, you know, anointing and things like that? That's not, you can't, that's not biblically defensible. Of what baptism of the Spirit is. Well, Paul, Paul says it kind of comes out like it's uh, instantaneous. In 19. Yeah. So he said, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Mm hmm. So it's instantaneous. He's saying, When you believed, you received the Holy Spirit. And he asked them, if, if they were part of the new covenant, what would they have received? Baptism. The, the Holy Spirit. Right. If they're part of the old covenant, did you receive the baptism of the Spirit? No. That's what he's asking them. He's trying to get what, you know, what, what kind of baptism is it? Have you received the Spirit and said, what Spirit? What Spirit? What's that? Tell, you know, what does that mean? What do you, what? Because they were part of the Old Covenant. They were baptized under John. And remember what John said? The one who comes after me, he's going to baptize with the Spirit. I'm baptizing with water. There's coming one after me. All right. 
that that's that's to understand. And again, the thing to sort out in your mind that'll help you sort this out is realize there is a transition. And during the Gospel of Acts, I mean, yeah, Gospel of Acts, during the Book of Acts, there are believers who are part of the old covenant. There are believers who are part of the new covenant. And it's not a clean cut break. It's not a, a clean transition. Because there are Jews that may have been in the far flung reaches of the empire that, that didn't hear about Christ's death till decades after it. And if they had never heard about it, but they were truly part of the covenant people and truly believing, they would have gone to heaven. They would have been part of the old covenant. No, you can't. And that's what the writer of Hebrews is saying, because he's saying the transition time is coming to an end. He makes that very clear. He said the old is just about gone. It's like a bunch of clothes that are old and you toss them out. He says it's coming. And when did it really come to an end? Well, when the temple was destroyed and, and Israel were scattered. Do you think all people that are saved are baptized? In the spirit today? Yeah. Yes. Do you think all people that are baptized, it says when Paul laid hands out to speak in tongues and prophesy? No. And we're going to talk about what that means. We're, we're going to hit that. Don't. We'll come back to that. Okay. And and Because um, a lot of people think even if you don't speak in tongues, you're not baptized. Right. I had a guy tell me, he says, you know, how do you know you're baptized in the Spirit? And my arm, he says, you speak in tongues. Well, how do you get that? Well, it says in Acts 19 they did. Um, well, says that and also in Acts 2. And, and, well, no, I, I think it says that if you believe in Christ, you're already baptized. But then some people do speak and some people prophesy. But they don't believe in Yeah. Biblically speaking, um, um yeah, but when we when we look at the text, you say, where does the baptism of the Spirit show up in the New Testament, and what does it mean to be baptized in the Spirit? I think you're led to the understanding that it is the placing of a believer in the body of Christ at the moment of their salvation. Now, there's a special case in Acts two when the body never existed, in which you have an initial coming of the Spirit and an initial baptism. That's where the body started. But right now, I don't believe you can be a Christian and not be baptized in the Spirit. Okay? Yeah. And, and I think in 1 Corinthians 12 brings that out too. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. I always thought that was just an extreme fact that someone has to speak. They don't. And, and, and in fact, you know, we're, we're, we're going to explore the whole concept of tongues. And, you know, there's a wide gamut of understanding on that. But if you look at the text, and that's all we're going to do in here. We're not going to try to bring, we're going to say, what does the Bible say about this? You find that tongues was a known language. It was not gibberish. It was, it was languages that people could understand and hear and interpret. So it was known foreign languages. And it was given as a sign at that time of the Holy Spirit. And I think the reason you have the different occurrences of the giving of the baptism of the Spirit and the, the speaking in tongues particularly is that God, I'm going to let you in on this, but I'll prove it later, is that God was trying to get through to the hard-headed, bone-headed Jews that there is only one body. So, what did the first 
set of believers, what nationality were they in the upper room? They were all Jews. And what happened when, when the Holy Spirit came? They spoke in tongues. All right? Languages. Understand what that is. That's language. That's not goop. That's language. All right? And then what happens when Cornelius became a believer? When he became a believer, what happened to him? He received the Spirit, and what did he do? And why is that important? Yeah, and in fact, Peter quotes that in Acts 15. He said, look, you know, don't yell at me because the Gentiles are part of the church because when I preached to Cornelius, guess what? He got the same gift we did. He had the same manifestation that we had. And who am I to keep the Spirit from doing what he does? And by the way, when the Samaritans received the Holy Spirit in Acts 8, what happened to them? And they spoke in tongues. And when the Old Testament vestiges believed in Acts 19, what happened to them? And what was the Holy Spirit telling? In the church, there is no distinction. What would have happened... Had at Pentecost to the Jews, they got the Holy Spirit, they spoke in tongues, and the rest of them didn't. If you think the Jews had a big head then, just think what happened. You know? And what the Holy Spirit, and I, I believe, and, and by the way, this follows the out, the, the, remember the Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, uttermost part of the earth? What is the Holy Spirit trying to drill? into the hard-headed noggins of the early church. You're one body. There is no Jew. There is no Gentile. There's no Samaritan. You're all one body. You get the same Holy Spirit. You have the same privileges. There's no distinction. And that had to be made. And I think that's why you have the miraculous sign gift given of the tongues there. It's to try and cement into their heads because, you know, when they became a believer, they didn't glow. There had to be some manifestation to, to, to get through to them that, wait a minute, Cornelius has the same Holy Spirit in the same manner and the same measure that I have. I'm a Jew. He's a Gentile. What does that mean? And, you, and, and, and the Holy Spirit had to really beat the Jews over the head to get them to understand that. Because they were brought up their entire life, there's Jews, and then there's fuel for hell. That was their mentality. And God had to break them of that. And so what Christ is telling them to do is, I want you to stay in Jerusalem until the promise of the Holy Spirit comes. Alright? Now, Christ stayed around for 40 days, right? So how long after Christ's ascension... Did it take for the Holy Spirit to come? An additional 10 days. All right. And then the Holy Spirit, because Pentecost is 50 days after. All right. So it wasn't a 90 day. It was 50 days. All right. But he said here, you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Now, again, we're going to come back and talk about baptism of the Spirit. And, and you know, just, just understand that, that, that when it comes to the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the speaking in tongues, the miraculous sign gifts, 
you know, there, there are people that take different viewpoints on that. I'm challenging all of us to do is let's, let's go with what the scripture says. Whatever, whatever we believe about it, we have to fit it in line with this. And it needs to make sense. All right. So no one, I'm not going to attack anyone on your beliefs in here. All right. That's not the point of this. All right. They, it's like they're not getting it or something. I don't know. I mean, like they're not, I feel like they're not receiving it. They could be receiving it, but the, but just the, the Holy Spirit gives it to them. Yes. So what should you do? Or, or, you know, keep to them. You never know if you're going to be the one that, but the whole point is this. Here's the thing. You don't save anyone. It's the Holy Spirit that brings illumination, but he brings regeneration and conviction in response to what? Hearing the word of God. If that's, that's connected. You, Romans 10. How shall they hear, how shall they believe in whom they have not heard? You know, so you got to hear the word of God. It, you, no one is saved without a proclamation of the word of God. You're not, you're just, you're not saved in a vacuum. So this concept that you can be out in bongo bongo and be a true believer, ever, having never heard about God or heard about the Bible or heard about Jesus, is, is false. He's going to bring the message to you. That's why you are missionaries. And by the way, missionaries don't save anyone. They're just the conduit, the means whereby the gospel is preached. And then the Holy Spirit is the one who brings conviction and regeneration. And here's the point. This, this is the thing to understand. The only point at which you get involved, you get involved in this process after you're born again. Because until you're born again, you have no concept of what sin is. You may feel bad about sin, but you, can you truly repent? No. And for some of us in here, there was a day, for some of us, that you remember the light went on. You may have heard the gospel all of your life, and one day all of a sudden it's like, boom, it hits you. And it makes sense, and you see it. And what is your first response? You repent, you believe, you, you have place your faith in Christ. But the point is here, faith comes after regeneration. That's... But, but ultimately, it is a black box. They're all related. They're all part of the, you know, you're not going to get stuck halfway through here and not make it all the way through. All right? When you're, when you're saved, you're going to have, true salvation is going to have all these components in it. Um, once you get all of that, um, Jesus divided up. I mean, like some people teach, once you say you all of Yes. Okay, yes. So, you can't lose it. Yes. It's irreversible. It's irreversible. But you have to also say, if it happens, you never had it. Yeah, that's the point. And I'll tell you, a good passage to go home and study on that. Go home and study Romans chapter 8, verses 28 through 32. All right? And what it says there. Yeah. It says, Those he foreknew, he predestinated. Those he predestinated, he called. Those he called, he justified. Those he justified, he glorified. Okay? Where does glorification wind up? Where does glorification wind up? 
eternity future, right? Where did his choosing start? Before time began. The point is the link here, and, and, and look at it this way. The link in that from God, for, by the way, foreknowledge there does not mean he just knew about. The Greek word means to choose beforehand. It's a selection. It's not just I knew that was going to happen. It is a selection. That's what the word is. All right? I understand. I mean, I, I, I agree with what you're saying. But I'm trying to figure out all these people who don't have salvation. Um, you say he chose beforehand those that do. Yes. But and he left the other ones alone. And what I'm asking. Yeah, he left the other ones alone. Huh? That's what you're saying. Yeah. So you know, so yeah. It, by the way, this this is one of the naughtiest theological things to work through, and, and it is. You know, um, all I know this: the reason I'm a Christian is because God chose me in eternity past. Yeah, that's the problem we all have. That and, and and part of me wants to rebel against that, but I'm stuck with what I'm stuck with what the Bible says because the Bible says exactly that. And you're not going to. You're not going to. So don't even try. You know, you'll you'll you'll, you'll make yourself go bananas. It's both. I and I don't understand. I don't understand. That's bona fide, but who are the ones that believe? Well, those are the ones that he foreknew. God knows it all. God sees the complete picture from eternity past to eternity future. He chose you, and then you chose him. Pardon? I'm sorry, I didn't hear you. I said you you make a decision whether you want you know I can offer Christ to you but that like I can offer you the stuff but that would mean you gotta receive it. And I think the Bible says if you are truly elect mm -hmm. you will but take you it. Know, you will yeah, yeah, and, and you gotta understand what is it what does it mean by wish? Is is that the wish of determination or the wish of desire? And there are actually two Greek words. There are actually two Greek words, and you find that it's the wish of desire. Yeah. But by the way, by the way, you know, I don't want to we could we could spend a lot of time on this. And you're not going to. All right, because I don't understand it. Okay? All I know is that is that God chose me in eternity past. Why did he do that? Because he felt like it. He wanted to. Ephesians chapter one. Yeah. But here's the other thing to understand. If God had did not chose me, there would I would never desire him. I would never want anything to do with him. Like people say, I found you. Jesus found you. Jesus found you. Then the problem I've always had is why did God create you for health or for health? He did. God, if he didn't choose you, you know, I don't. I don't understand. Because that's your choice. Because you know. <laughs> that drives me nuts. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what. It drives a lot of us nuts. It drives a lot of us nuts. I'll tell you why. I don't care about we get the word Uber to the week. 
I enjoy the conversations, the discussions, and I get a lot out. Well, the whole reason I'm doing it, this is your class. It's not, I'm not, I'm not going to get paid if I get through this or not. The point, this yeah, is for you to understand. We'll get through it. Don't worry about it. You know, the problem is here we are in week two and we got through eight verses or whatever like that, you know. Yeah, it's like Sundays. All right. Jim's been on it for two years. Well, we'll speed. There are some passage. There are some sections that we'll go through a little bit quick, more quickly, and we'll pick up speed now. Going through the problem is there's a lot. There's a lot of concepts very early on here that really form the framework for figuring out what's going on in Acts. If you don't, if you don't get this, you're going to be trying to. You're going to go nuts trying to figure out what's going on. You're not going to make any sense of it. Okay. So. We're out of time already. So um, don't worry. We will make our way through the, through the book. Some of it will hit a little faster than others. And that's why I really encourage you, you know, read, read the commentaries. You know, that'll, if you read the MacArthur commentaries, you've got, you know, that's very helpful. So, all right, well, let's close in, in prayer here. We're out of time. Father, thank you for this day and for the time here. And, we didn't get as far as we probably should have, but you know what? We'll get through what we should get through. And pray that you just teach us, and thank you for this time of challenge, and pray for your help in understanding your word in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening. This podcast was made in part with creative consulting and production assistance by Third Mass Studio. For your production needs, send an email to thirdmassstudio at gmail.com. For other lectures in this series and more biblical media resources, visit theopenword.org.